not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tuckered Out. I'm Troy. And I'm Tyler. And this is a podcast where we talk about man with exceptionally tan testicles, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> uh, I uh, heard about this a little bit this yeah, week. Yeah, I assumed you probably couldn't have avoided the testicle tanning news. Yep, yep, <laughs> I did I did see a little bit. Yeah, uh, we actually are not going to talk much about testicle tanning today. Um, oh, and here I was thinking I was in for a good time. <laughs> um, but what we are going to talk about is uh awesome new patron we have. Good segue. Um, <laughs> Been working on them. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we have one new patron this week. Um, Lizanne is just asking questions, so thank you, Lizanne. Yeah, thank you very much, Lizanne. Yes. All right. So, Tyler. Troy. Today we are going to be talking about April 12th through 14th on Tucker's show. Okay. Um, it, listeners of the show might have noticed it, it. We haven't been in the nightly show for a little bit. And and there are reasons for that. Um, as we move into our second year and the show kind of like finds more of its own identity, I do want to start leaning more on like more focused episodes. I think maybe we'll do uh, explorations of to- single topics like the, ar- the architecture thing more. Okay. Um, or we might do like Tucker's use of uh, uh, making people afraid of crime as propaganda and stuff like that. Um, okay. I think it's just a more fruitful direction as we go, and it helps me better follow my interest. Um, but it, it got to strike a balance because, uh, as much as this po- this podcast is a vanity project for me, um, <laughs> it, it is also. I, I know that some people find utility in it for um, keeping abreast of some of the right wing narratives out there, and uh, it, we have kind of done a poor job of that in recent weeks. There have been a lot of big news items that we haven't addressed. Stories that we, uh, we we haven't addressed, and um, I'll, on that, I just want to say I hope we're not anyone's only or primary news source. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we, we do need to spend some time in the nightly show here, uh, which for so long has been our bread and butter. So we're we're, we're going to get into this, and to start off with, I have a question of the week for you. Is it sad that we're all desperate for Elon Musk to save us? Yes, it is. But who else is going to save us? So Tucker's an Elon Musk fan now. I had, in the original Drought of the Supposed episode, I had about twice as many clips about Elon Musk as I do now, and there are still a lot of clips about Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your kindness, Troy. (laughs) Uh, Tucker is super into Elon, and... um, as we're recording this, it uh, it, it appears that Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter. Um, yeah, <clears throat> Twitter as of today has agreed to be bought by Elon Musk. So um, we'll, we'll we'll probably be dealing with some of that and what that's going to look like as as it develops. Um, at this point, on April twelfth, Tucker doesn't know that yet. He just knows that Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter. And he is extremely goddamn excited about it. This is going to restore free speech in America. <laughs> is, is is his line? And and what he'll say is, um, 
Twitter is important because it is the primary place where elite opinion is incubated. This is where, like, the the, the journalists and the uh, influencers and the tastemakers all talk to each other and form their and form the kind of collective elite opinion. Um, what? Yeah, and and I I think the merits of that can be argued. I don't think it's zero percent true, but it's certainly not as true as Tucker wants it to be. Um, I mean, I I guess that's true, but Twitter isn't only that. I guess I would say, yeah, like anyone can talk and find a community on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so we, we we're going to be talking quite a bit about that. But first, there was another uh, there was another story um, because I did choose to dip back into the nightly show a week in which there was a mass shooting. Great. Wait, we have weeks without New York mass City shootings. Is... Good point. <laughs> <laughs> and then in New York City this morning, sixteen people were shot on the subway in Brooklyn by some lunatic wearing a hoodie. And yet somehow none of the many surveillance cameras in the subway station happened to be working at the time. So the guy got away. We do know he was not a white supremacist. So we're betting the media are not going to dwell on this. There's nothing to gain from covering this particular atrocity. Just another mass shooting in a big city. It's also sad. You know how nobody covered the subway shooting? Yes. And the news never covers mass shootings ever. Yeah. And uh, and already we're seeing some some of Tucker's the the way that he employs language here to to say things without saying them because what he said was we do know that the shooter isn't a white supremacist so the media won't cover it he said that because the shooter was a black guy the imp- so he's like yeah he's implying that oh mass shooters are okay if they're black it, yeah like they're he, he's implying that the left thinks that is what he's saying right exactly yeah, yeah. he's like it, oh the, they're they're gonna the media is gonna be permissive of a black shooter but they they would freak out if it was a white guy uh they would call him a white supremacist by default that, that that's how this goes yeah um and so we, we we're gonna come back to this shooting shortly uh but first on the day on the day of the shooting, Tucker does not dedicate his opening monologue to that story. He teases it at the beginning, but then we've got much more important business to cover at the top of the episode. But mayhem and economic decline are not for once what we are opening the show with tonight. No, we have genuinely good news. And here it is. It looks possible that Elon Musk will seize control of Twitter and end censorship on that platform. <sighs> yeah, um, I, I've already I already kind of spoiled that he's big on Musk on Musk's Twitter acquisition. Um, but yeah, this is going to end censorship uh, on the platform where elite opinion is incubated. Our elites are going to sound like Nazis again. Yay! Yay! Um, I just noticed we may be a year into into doing this show, but I still nod and think that that's enough on our on our audio-based show (laughs) um so still working on it the only thing that i really know about um elon musk said something on twitter recently that was something along the lines of twitter's tos should be such that both the left and the right are equally unhappy with them 
And that is a terrible policy for a social media platform. Yeah, I, I I want a platform that nobody enjoys. <laughs> yeah, I think he I think he said like the the far left and the far right. Which uh, okay, the people who want an ethno state, the people who want everybody to have health care, they're both pretty far out. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we need to make this an unhappy place for both of those ridiculous opinions. So then, uh, at this point, Tucker is going to explain the nature of censorship. Now, why should you care about that? It's like a tech story, right? Who cares about social media? Here's why you should care. Because if that were to happen, we could see a return of free speech to the United States. And nothing should give you more hope than that possibility. A free Twitter would mean an open debate about ideas on the single most important incubator of elite opinion in the world. It would mean a return to free and fair elections in the United States, a system in which both sides are allowed to make their case to the public, and then the public can decide. It's called democracy. And above all, a free Twitter would mean a direct challenge to the people in charge of our country's institutions, many of whom are incompetent. For the first time in years, we will be able to talk honestly about our leaders. We'll be able to have the kind of conversations that make democracy possible. We can't have those conversations now, and there's a reason for it. The point of censorship is never to shield the weak, no matter what Barack Obama may tell you. The point of censorship, always and everywhere, is to protect entrenched power. That's why it's the powerful who impose censorship for their own benefit. And that's exactly why illegitimate regimes fight so hard to control information through censorship. That's their main concern. Why are they so focused on that? That's why. I think he's right about like real censorship but the thing he's talking about isn't censorship yeah like the, terms of service are not censorship because the people he's angry about being censored are are the people like it spewing hateful bigoted shit yes I, I don't think i have the clip but he complains about how the tucker carlson tonight twitter account was recently suspended because they did a transphobia um and so when he pretends like that is the powerful censoring the weak, the implicit assumption there that you have to accept for that to make sense is that the trans community... Uh, hold the institutional power right now? Yeah, hold, hold, the, hold the weight of institutional power over the most popular cable news host in the country. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Which, I wonder what the suicide rate among cable news hosts is. Can we get that data? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, I I don't think I need to spend time for our audience unpacking why that's a ridiculous assumption. And, and the, I guess, like, the other big censorship thing that happens is, like, COVID or election misinformation. Yeah. Uh, okay, if censoring election misinformation is to protect entrenched power, then the... Uh, the the party that was peddling election misinformation that controlled the presidency, the Supreme Court, and both houses of Congress yep. would have been in control of that censorship, not the other way around. Yeah, conservative narratives don't really work from the frame of mind that like we already have institutional power. They they always have to be our power's been taken away from us and we have to take it back. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they always have to be losing. Yeah. Um, and so then, uh, th th that's all we have on the Twitter story for now, though we'll circle back to it, because Tucker has to talk about the subway shooting a bit. 
In particular, he's very focused on the the situation with the cameras. Yes. So I, I would. We have read that none of the CCTV, none of the security cameras in the station were working. It, it, I think it's the average person's impression that there are a lot of those cameras. What do you think? Explain. I should say he's talking to a uh, a, a former um, N- New York City police chief. Okay. We have read that none of the CCTV, none of the security cameras in the station were working. It, it, I think it's the average person's impression that there are a lot of those cameras. What do you think explains that? It's disgraceful. There's absolutely yeah. no reason for that to, to happen. You know, I heard someone on television earlier today talking about the subway bombings in London in 2003, 2004. They had yeah. the picture of all four of the perpetrators walking together. That's why those cameras are there. So it is, it is absolutely indefensible that they weren't working in this day and age. And, you know, we've got a lot of money that's come out of the federal government, a lot of money to the MTA. This is something that, that should have been repaired, you know, last year. It wasn't working. Who knows how long it wasn't working. So Tucker doesn't really get an answer to his question there. Tucker Carlson, the state isn't surveillance enough yet. If you know anything about uh, the way that businesses tend to maintain their security cameras it's not worth that the cameras didn't work uh, I, I've, I've worked at banks where the cameras didn't work <laughs> and so um but then i i mostly wanted to keep that in because it introduces this thread as the coverage of the shooting evolves tucker is very focused on the cameras um and that's going to pay off in a way i think it's a little bit interesting at the end okay um and then uh, before this police chief leaves, he does make a claim about the state of the New York subway system. Uh, I, I do not live in New York, so I cannot say that this is not true definitively. So I'm going to ask for some help from my audience. I'm sure some of you use the New York subway system. I need to know if this is an accurate description of the state of affairs. Okay. So I, I, the new mayor is a former subway cop, famously. The subway has gotten dangerous, or the perception is that it's dangerous. He said he campaigned on the idea he'd fix that. There were no police officers around also. Does that seem odd to you? Well, uh, there's not enough police officers to be on every station. Now, what he did say today, he's going to double the number of officers assigned to the transit system. I think that's a good move. We need much more visibility there. Plus, we need the cops to be on the platforms, not up yeah. in the mezzanine section. We need them uh, where people are getting on the trains. If you go to the subways now, people are standing against the wall. They're so afraid of having someone push them on the tracks, but they're standing against the wall and then running to the train when the train comes in the station. People, huh? people are standing against the wall so that someone doesn't push them onto the tracks. What if it's just that they don't want to fall onto the tracks? There's like a big yellow line that says don't step yeah. past this so that you don't get hit by the train. I just it, if, if people were pushing each other onto train tracks all the time, I feel like I would have heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you even get out of that? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Conservatives just think that like... Maybe not in these exact words, but I think that effectively conservatives just think that, like, 
the devil exists and possesses people to do evil shit at random times and not that there's like systemic reasons for crime that feels like like kind of milk toast analysis but like they're sitting here talking about how like oh we need more cameras we need more police officers and not how can we make it so people don't want to bomb subways <laughs> yeah it's it's like the, the, there's no there's no in in their in their conception there's no way to deter crime or make or create a situation where crime happens less it's the you you need a greater uh retali- retaliatory force yeah to counterbalance the crime right um yeah so then that's pretty much everything of consequence that happened on Tuesday he talks more about twi- about twitter um he 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 covers the fact that Joe Biden got pooped on by a bird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't hear about that. When did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, like Monday or Tuesday, uh, um, so probably like the the eleventh or twelfth. Huh. And so then um, we 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 move into Wednesday the thirteenth, and at this point, more information has come out about the identity of the shooter, and so uh, now Tucker has a bit more to work with. So what should we think of the story? We should say at the outset that not every tragedy has obvious lessons. We are hesitant to draw quick and dirty political conclusions, particularly partisan ones, from something bad that happened. Not every mudslide in Sri Lanka or cyclone in Ohio is the result of climate change. Fair. But it's still interesting to know a lot more about the man who apparently committed this crime, Frank James. Who was he? What did he think? Well, it turns out that for years, Frank James posted black supremacist rants on his YouTube channel for all to see. Some of these videos date back to 2013 and continue to very recently. He uploaded within the last few days. Overnight, the journalist Andy No unearthed a number of these posts. You can go find them online. We're not going to show them to you. But we want to read you some expert excerpts so you have some idea of what this man was thinking. In one video he posted to YouTube, James declares that, quote, white people and black people, as we call ourselves, should not have any contact with each other. Blacks and whites, so-called, should not even be in the same hemisphere. James seemed especially enraged that Judge Kentonji Brown Jackson, Joe Biden's Supreme Court pick, had married a white man. Quote, I had no idea that she would be married to a white man. Yeah, our black sister Supreme Court justice, power to the people, is married to an effing white man. In other posts, James called for violence against people on the basis of their skin color. In one video, James says, for example, that, quote, the white MFers that I want to kill, you know, I really want to kill them because they're white. Pretty direct about his feelings on that. On Facebook, he posted a meme that said, quote, oh, black Jesus, please kill all the whiteies. Why was he so angry? Well, James explained that himself. Quote, the vast majority of people, white MFers, are racist. He'd seen that on CNN, and he believed it. There were signs long before the shooting yesterday that James was dangerous, and that he might act out against other people. In one instance, James filmed himself shouting racial epithets at people on the street. Quote, F you and your white ass too, you MFer. And to throw that in for good luck, I don't listen, yeah, white racist MFer. They do exist. They do effing exist. We could go on and on and on. He attacks Asians too. Disgusting. Tucker and Ben Shapiro should should make a rap group. <laughs> I, I would end this podcast and make the rest and dedicate the rest of my career to booking their shows. Uh, <laughs> I think that would be a collective good for the world in a way this show could never be. 
Um, oh, that's true. So yeah, uh, you, you'll notice that if you if you pay attention to Tucker's to, to Tucker's coverage of things like um, the El Paso Walmart shooting, he does not dedicate a bunch of time to going through all of the uh, bigoted white supremacist anti-immigrant tweets and Facebook posts that that those those, those types of shooters engage in. But you know, just... something's different about this guy that makes him want to go into that thing. I wonder what that yeah, could it's... be. It's not apples to apples here. Uh, <laughs> so uh, he he also weirdly enough ignores the uh, the also consistent anti semitism on Frank James's Facebook posts. Because well, uh, anti semitism is fine. Yeah, we I get, did a we did a George Soros documentary coverage, if you recall. Yeah, I guess his audience <laughs> probably isn't going to be too worried about that stuff. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't cover the uh the, the things where Frank James talks about the um his mental health issues and the way he feels he hasn't been able to get adequate support from the systems that were supposed to help him. For example, in a post about the Bridgeway Behavioral Health Services, an organization that James referenced in numerous videos, James said, quote, These are the people that was supposed to be helping me. They made me worse. They made me fucking worse. They made me more dangerous than I could ever, than anything anyone could ever fucking imagine. These are the people that Eric Adams wants to send to help out the homeless and whatever the case may be. It ain't gonna happen. Obviously, whatever grievances that James had with the behavioral health services he he interacted with don't do anything to excuse his actions on, on the subway. I, I, I guess the point here is that Tucker is going to be very selective with what he chooses to present and what he ignores, because it's all about what serves the narrative and what doesn't. Which he he alluded to the narrative already in in last week's show is that uh, the the media wants you to believe that white supremacist violence is the danger, but the real danger to you is is, is this black supremacist violence that they're ignoring, and so that's why he's going to spend all this time talking about Frank James's anti-white tweet, tweets and Facebook posts. Yes, um, that's really all I was going to say. Yeah, and then we're, we're going to see a bit more of that that storytelling here. He's laying the foundation for this for this narrative. So this guy was a racist. He was not a white supremacist, and that might surprise you because Joe Biden and some of the shills who work for him, including the Attorney General and the head of DHS, have told us again and again and again, and the New York Times has confirmed this again and again and again that white supremacists, right-wing Trump voters, are the number one terror threat in the United States of America. Here's Biden. We must confront and defeat political extremism, white supremacy, and domestic terrorism. White supremacy, domestic terrorism, that we must confront and we will defeat. According to the United States intelligence community, domestic terrorism from white supremacists is the most lethal terrorist threat and the homeland. What a liar he is. Yeah, there are racists of all colors in this country, but white supremacy is not the main threat we face. Racial animus of all kinds is not the main threat we face. We've talked about those DHS reports a couple of times and gone over all the examples cited of, of white supremacist violence over the years. I won't I, I won't put our audience through it again. It's bad. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> suffice to say, like, this is not a made-up issue. And so th- this gets to the point that Tucker wants to make uh, on this show. This is an interesting uh, uh, not to unravel, I think. And in fact, since Joe Biden took office, there has not been a single deadly attack by a white supremacist or a QAnon shaman. 
At the same time, since Joe Biden took office, a BLM supporter rammed his car into a barricade at the Capitol and murdered a police officer. Then another BLM supporter ran over dozens of people, including children, at a Christmas parade in Wisconsin, Waukesha, killing six people. Many more remain. Most recently, a BLM supporter, and by the way, an honoree of the Barack Obama Foundation, tried to assassinate a mayoral candidate in Kentucky. Again, most people who commit acts of violence like this are mentally ill. So there isn't always an obvious political lesson. But if you take three steps back, maybe if the entire news media tells you every day of your life that America hates you because of your skin color, you might respond to that at a certain point. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't we see more crimes like this? They're being abetted and effectively encouraged by the Biden administration and the American news media, obviously. And it's bad for everybody of all colors, showing race hatred, suspicion, Anxiety is terrible for the country, and they're doing it every single day. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree if if it was actually what he's saying it is, like people are just making up fake race relation problems. Yes. And, and pretending that the last 200 years of racial animosity don't exist. <laughs> yeah, and, and then the implication is that trying to address the... the racial uh racial injustices is encouraging violence against white people yeah he's basically (laughs) i feel like he was basically as close as you can get to saying well white people deserve to go out and shoot some people with the way they've been being treated lately yeah like is is this is this not a permutation of just like if we agree that we've done wrong by him then we're gonna have to give up some of our stuff yeah um, it, it is telling that immediately after saying racial animus of any kind isn't isn't the main problem we face. He then lists three consecutive examples of quote BLM supporter violence. Yeah. Um, and and let's go through those. Like he mentioned the uh, the the um, Daryl Brooks who drove through the Waukesha Christmas parade. Uh, we've talked about that. That was in no way a racially motivated a- attack or. Arguably not even really an attack. It kind of seems like he was just uh, mentally ill and trying to flee from police. Yes. Um, the the National Justice Party, by the way, made a documentary about that. Um, about how it was uh, an anti-white racial attack. <sighs> yeah, so good Great. stuff. Um, Great. Not actually, the, not actually the NJP. It was this group called Media to Rise who I'm... I have some notes on an episode to do soon. Um, I, I don't. I don't know when, but it's something I have my eye on. Um, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the other two he mentioned. He said a BLM supporter drove through a police barricade. There, he's referring to uh, an, an event on April first. A man named Noah Green uh, drove his car into a police barricade at a protest, killed one officer, and injured a in, and injured another. Um. Noah then got out of the car, brandishing a knife, uh, and according to descriptions of what what ensued, he um, did not respond to verbal commands and lunged at an officer and was subsequently shot to death. Noah Green was a BLM supporter uh, and an activist. Noah Green had also, the year before, uh, left his job, and in his words, he left partly because of, partly because of, quote, afflictions but mostly for a spiritual journey. Um, he regularly posted on Facebook about how we are in the end times and more than that we are seeing, quote, the last days of our world as we know it. So I, 
I'm, I'm not going to diagnose anybody based on a few Facebook tweets, Facebook quotes or anything, but it, uh, it, it, it kind of seems like there may have been some, some imbalance here. And maybe the fact that he was a BLM supporter alone did not spur him to violence. Um, BLM is a pretty popular movement. Like, you might as well just call them Democrats. It it has the same meaning. Yeah. Like, especially when Tucker says it. It's like a 50-50 shot that some terrorist is a... And then uh, the other thing he mentioned was... um, a, quote, BLM supporter who tried to assassinate a mayoral candidate in Kentucky. So this is referring to an incident in which a man named Quintez Brown attempted to assassinate Craig Greenberg, a candidate for mayor of Louisville, Kentucky. Brown had shown up at Greenberg's house the day prior with a gun, but then left, and the next day went to Greenberg's office, where he uh, he fired several shots, um, didn't hit anybody, did nick somebody's clothing, uh, and was apprehended shortly after. Brown had been an activist and supported BLM. However, a year before the assassination attempt, Brown also disappeared for two weeks, and when he was found, his parents requested privacy while they sought mental health treatment. Brown's lawyer has stated that Brown has, quote, serious mental health issues. So, the the reason I highlight that this in, both the, in all three of these cases that Tucker referenced, the way that Tucker is framing this, he wants you to believe that the primary motivating factor in these acts of violence were was uh, support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think is a fair read of any of these events, and I think that he has to know that because he's not an idiot. Absolutely. He obviously knows that. But this is all to serve his broader point that the media trying to address racial injustices is akin to uh, stoking racial violence. Like, he even says, the news media tells you every day that America hates you because of your skin color. Maybe at some point you respond to that. Is this not... He's talking about what he does, right? He goes on his show every night and tells three million people that the the system hates you. Every institution in this country is aligned against you. They're trying to replace you. They want you to be poor and destitute. Yep. Like, at, at a certain point, when you tell people that, We've said it a hundred times. Most people aren't going to uh, commit violence as a result. Some are. Because some, like Quintez Brown, like Daryl Brooks, like Noah Green, have some sort of issue or imbalance that makes them prone to this kind of thing. Yeah, I was um, tangentially related. I I almost feel like he's he's doing the the devil blaming, (laughs) I'm going to call it. Like evil exists and there's nothing we can do about it like with mentally ill people a little bit but being mentally ill i don't i don't think being mentally ill predisposes you to being violent which yes. is kind of what he's saying absolutely um but i do think that it that if if you are the type of mentally ill person who is more likely to um be convinced by this propaganda to commit violent crime you are a victim of that of that right-wing propaganda yeah um so I don't I don't love that he's kind of trying to blame mental health issues either. Not that he's talking about solutions for that either. Yeah, and I, I I'm glad you said that because I hope that I didn't imply in any of that that there's like a A to B, oh you're mentally ill, therefore violence. Um I don't like, think you were, but there and I, I really like the framing of blaming the devil here because the devil is an unsolvable problem. <laughs> like, if you right. believe in the devil, there's nothing that you can do about the existence of the devil. 
And it, that is not the case with mental illness. Like, we could do a much better job of addressing people who are mentally ill, meeting their needs, and mitigating this kind of thing. Yes. Like, it's it's within our power. Yep. Um, oh, there's so many things that are within our power, Troy. Don't, don't get me dreaming. So then at this point, Tucker brings on a, a, another former cop. This one's a little bit more dynamic than the last one. Um, All right, I'm excited. Let's see. And he, he brings this guy in, and uh, he, Tucker wants to know, how did this happen? Like, if Frank James had a rap sheet, if he'd been arrested before, how did he slip through the cracks and, and commit this act of violence? And this cop has a terrifying answer. So apparently Frank James, and we're working off limited information here, but according to news reports, Frank James came into contact and had been interviewed by the FBI. Apparently he had prior arrests. We read today he was on a watch list at one point. James Galliano was the head of FBI's crisis management program in New York City. He also served as a SWAT team commander and counterterrorist operator on the elite hostage rescue team at FBI. He joins us tonight. James, thanks so much for coming on. So these are the reports that we have read. We can't verify them. Do you think they're true? And if so, what does it mean? Well, first of all, Tucker, thanks for having me on. Um, This is it's it's good news today that Frank James was apprehended. And I have full faith in the NYPD, the FBI, the JTTF and the and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms for coordinating and making the arrest. The fact that this individual showed up on a radar now going back to 2016 with Omar Mateen and the Pulse nightclub shooting, um, people asked, well, if these folks have been interviewed, why aren't they in custody? Unfortunately, you know, we've got this pesky Fourth Amendment thing in the United States. It makes it really difficult. People say hyperbolic things. I listened as you read through that slew of bigoted and, and, and awful um, um, online rantings that this individual had posted. A lot of times it's difficult. You can do a knock and talk. You can interview somebody. You, they can be on your radar, but you can't keep them under perpetual surveillance. And unfortunately, in a country like the United States with 327 million people and only 12,000 FBI agents, it makes it tough to make sure that something like this doesn't happen. I think that's right. I mean, that, that sounds like an entirely fair explanation. Well, you know, Tucker, I would have arrested that bastard in a second, but he just hadn't committed any crimes yet. The goddamn Constitution says I can't arrest someone for their bad vibes. <laughs> yeah, th- that that was wild. Like the it, th- the solution is we should have one FBI agent for every American, <laughs> and then everybody can just be watched by all the FBI agents. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I didn't think of that. Like that, he's kind of implying that 327 million Americans are all potential suspects at all times. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, what, like, that is such a pure distillation of cop brain, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrifying. For sure. <laughs> yeah, and so then, uh, now, now that Frank Corleano was on, he's a little, he's he's got a little more spring in his step than last night's cop. So Tucker wants to ask him, what's up with these cameras? I'm wondering about the security cameras in the New York City subway system. There are many thousands of cameras down there. We're learning that it just so happens that the cameras at this scene were not working. What do you take from that? Yeah, so we've come a long way with technology in in law enforcement. I mean, going back to the early 20th century, we we figured out blood typing. And in 1930s, we had latent fingerprint evidence recovery. And then in 1987, 1988, DNA. Now, everyone is so accustomed to a one-hour TV drama where the crime occurs, it's investigated, and it's adjudicated, and the person goes to jail in one neat 60-minute package. 
doesn't always work that way. The five boroughs of New York are about 320 square miles. And, Tucker, I would submit that the vast majority of that is blanketed with either governmental, meaning police surveillance cameras, or private, uh, you know, a bodega owner or a shop store has a, have cameras out there. The problem at the 36th Street Station and the 25th Street Station here appears to be, and again, I'm just looking at reports, related to Wi-Fi and a server issue. So the film footage was captured. It just wasn't able to be transferred expeditiously to the people that needed it, which was 1PP, police headquarters, and the FBI office at 26 Federal Plaza in, in Lower Manhattan. So the cameras were operating. We just yeah. don't know the video yet. That's correct. Because it, it'd be a little weird that the cameras didn't work outside Epstein's cell and at this shooting. But you made me feel better um, knowing that it's not that big a deal. What? Yeah. So that, that's a weird thing to bring up right now. Yeah. And I, I, I actually thought that was interesting. What happened there? He, he, tied, he tied this in. Like where his, I think where his mind went as soon as he heard that the cameras didn't work was Epstein's cell. Um, and okay. so and so then Tucker's right-wing brainworm mind it immediately makes this connection. He's like, oh, the cameras didn't work. That's pretty weird. And so every time he's talked about this story consistently, he's mentioned the cameras. Um, he asked the last guy why they didn't work. He brought it up in his monologue. He, he's got the whiff of something that can be a conspiracy here. He just needs something to be able to take the ball and run. Yeah, but uh, people manipulating cameras happens every fucking day because police officers are allowed to turn their body cameras off. Maybe it's not literally every day, but all the time. It's just like, hey, something happened, and the cops just turned their cameras off so we don't know, so we couldn't see it. Like, that that's, <laughs> that's literally what he's, like, virtue signaling about. But yeah. he can't talk about that. Yeah, that's a good point. I've because, never heard him get upset about that. Because that is against his idea that, like, the state should have unlimited surveillance power. L like, someone in power literally conspiring to make sure there's not camera footage of an abuse of power yeah. is the thing that he's implying happened here that he's yeah. upset about, but he doesn't care when it actually... Yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then... When he asked this to, to Frank Corleone, he gets, like, a, a, a reasonable answer. Like, the footage was recorded, there was a server issue, the footage wasn't transmitted in a timely manner. And so then Tucker's like, oh, okay, I guess this isn't a, a, a conspiracy pillar that I can run with and make a big deal out of here. Uh, you made me feel better. Um, this isn't like Epstein's cell. And that just, to me, perfectly encapsulates the way Tucker engages with information. Like, you can tell he's a guy who primarily gets news via text. Because Tucker only knows knows what people tell him. He didn't like dispatch reporters. He didn't try to figure out why these cameras didn't work. What might have happened here? He just like, oh, that's kind of weird. I'll wait until somebody provides a compelling explanation one way or the other, and then I will believe it. <laughs> Someone texted me one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like like thank God he talked to Frank Corleone before he talked to Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah. So that's all we're gonna talk about the shooting for now. Um, I think for the rest of this. Because then uh, th there's another story Tucker has to get to. So um, historically, he's been pretty critical of Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, for his uh, not being more viciously autocratic about Border Patrol. Um, Tucker, for months, has been has been nailing Greg Abbott on, like, why doesn't he send the Texas National Guard and get things under control? Um, so now Greg Abbott, uh, he... He he isn't going. He he's taken some some border action. 
one of the things he's implemented, uh, he is sending buses of migrants who arrive in Texas uh, from Texas to Washington, D.C., so that Joe Biden and the politicians in Washington can more immediately address their needs. Um, okay. And so... I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. This is. I'm gonna. I'm gonna use my guess for the for the episode. Uh, how do you think Tucker feels about that policy? Thumbs down. He doesn't like it. I don't know. So moving a bus of 23 illegal aliens into Washington D.C. It's like it's almost like a meme. Why not just move them back to the countries they came from? Why not take the Texas National Guard and keep them from coming into our country? Oh, that's too hard. Nailed it. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Tucker thinks that this busing thing is political theater. Greg Abbott's not going far enough. Why not just keep him from coming into the country in the first place? There is, however, another plank of Greg Abbott's border policy going on that Tucker is a little bit more open to. But Texas is apparently taking some steps to slow the massive surge of migration about to hit this country. It's about to get even bigger. Todd Benzman has wrote a piece about what Texas is doing. He's the author of America's Border War. He's also a senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. He joins us tonight. Todd, thanks so much for coming on. Pardon my skepticism about this uh, theater going on. Um, it's greatly frustrating to people in other parts of the country that Texas hasn't just shut down its own border since it always talks about how it's a country. But the state is doing something, you say, to slow this border surge. What is it doing? Right. Well, I agree. I think that the uh, busing of migrants to Washington, D.C. is a bit of a sideshow to the main event, yeah. which is that the Abbott administration is shutting down trade with Mexico. They're saying that they're doing it with enhanced safety inspections at the border at all these the, the biggest ports of entry in America, actually, for trucking, Laredo, and also um, FAR and El Paso as well, just shutting those bridges down with inspections, essentially, uh, and they won't say exactly uh, what I think they want to say, which is, we're going to do this to you, Mexico, until you clean up your side of the border of the mass migration that's coming. Now, it's it, to me, it seems like it's a leverage point. I think that they, that they are uh, hoping to get the Biden administration and the Mexican governors to respond uh, to this. It is proving to be a major muscle that the Texas, that the state of Texas is able to flex. And they have a, a deal now, uh, reportedly, with the governor of Nuevo Leon, who is, they're going to announce shortly some kind of a deal where we in Texas lift this embargo on our side in exchange for border security on their side. Very interesting play. I've never seen a state be able to force an issue like this. Well, they're being kind of obvious about it, aren't they? They don't want brown people coming in, so they made up a fake security issue to make it harder for people driving trucks to enter the country. Nailed it. Yeah, um... <laughs> Yeah, so Greg Abbott, and th this policy has officially uh, ended now, but it was going on for a bit. Greg Abbott was making sure that every commercial truck that came came from the came across the border from Mexico into Texas was stopped for inspection on the pretense that they were looking for drugs or illegal migrants. Um, because it's not racist to assume that because you're Mexican, you're bringing drugs and <laughs> illegal immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Apparently. So this led to over 4,100 vehicle inspections, which turned up no drugs and no migrants. Wow. <laughs> they No way. I, I know. It's I, I can't believe it. Um, they did take about 850 trucks off the road for various equipment violations, and they were, th- and they, uh, and another 345 were cited for things like underinflated tires, broken turn signals, or oil leaks. Who cares? Yep. I mean, I, oil leaks aren't great, but like those, you can just pump up a tire or replace a light bulb. And and for having caught all those serious violations, it costs Texas Tech, Texas Tech. Texas taxpayers about two and a half billion dollars. Say that five times fast. <laughs> and uh, and two and a half billion dollars and to find no drugs and no illegal immigration and had significant ripple effects toward the supply chain for the greater United States. I've, I've seen. Okay, ver- so it costs taxpayers money, and everything is more expensive for everyone because Texans are racist. But this did lead to Greg Abbott ma- making deals with. The governors of four Mexican states. Um, these four Mexican governors agreed that they would uh, uh, take take steps to crack down on illegal mig- migration in the United States and to enhance security for me- Mexican cargo going over the border. So that that seems like a big win for Greg Abbott. What's interesting is that there were no like parameters agreed to or no safety measures that they had to implement in order for greg abbott to accept this deal they just had to say that they were going to do it and uh and three of these four governors have said that they're just going to continue the security measures that they've already established so nothing happened okay (laughs) and this is just like a symbolic win for greg abbott because he wants to be president yeah it's a it's a fake solution to a fake problem wasted everybody's time and money for yep. for no fucking reason but you know uh th- this can't not be about the fact that they want to replace us right i mean the, pr- the problem is that mexican governors and the Biden administration share a common contempt for america's current population and, and, and want to change it so i mean it's hard to see how this moves them to action we're sending all these guns to protect Ukraine's border, why wouldn't we do the same in Texas to protect the American border? Why wouldn't Governor Abbott do that? I, I honestly am confused. Gosh, is there something different about people bringing in products that we bought <laughs> across our southern border and a military invasion? I can't think of one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! I mean, okay. It, I mean, the, the 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 mainstream media won't report on this, Tyler. But it, Ukraine, they 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 ordered that invasion through Amazon Prime. <laughs> so they couldn't have ordered it on Amazon Prime. It's taking way too long to fucking get in there. So then uh, Tucker wants to know, like, why don't they just send guys with guns to the border and take care of it rather than the pretense of all these inspections? And uh, and, and this guest wants to demur on that a little bit. Tucker doesn't really let him. Well, uh, you know, listen, the state of Texas has got Operation Lone Star. They've spent close to $4 billion on, uh, you know, plugging the holes in the line left by Border Patrol uh, off doing processing duty and babysitting and bringing, uh, you know, water to migrants while we're processing them in. Uh, So they're not out there doing drug uh, interdiction and that sort of thing. And I think to to the extent that, that the state can... Uh, do something they are. But ultimately, the state of Texas, if they were to round up migrants, 
and bring them to the international bridge and try to drop them off, they would be stopped by the Biden administration's CBP blue uniforms on the bridges. You you couldn't I don't think that they can get past our own people to the midway point of the bridge. And that's yeah. really, I think, ultimately what the problem is. Well, it'd be interesting to see who wins that fight. Um, but it'd be nice to have a fight because the country is disappearing. So maybe maybe it's worth having. I don't know. Todd Bedsman, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you. God, it must be so exhausting to think the world is being taken over. The country is disappearing. What's that, what does that even mean? I mean, it means that the, the, there's fewer white people. Yeah, the, the the share of white people is gradually decreasing. Yeah. The, that that that's what the country disappearing means. Yeah. Since it's not like brown people have lived here since the country has existed. <laughs> since before the country has existed as a matter of <laughs> So then uh th- th- that brings us to Thursday and uh we we we've got some some updates on the most important story currently going on right now. By challenging the monopoly on speech, not just the United States, but globally on Twitter, on this central platform for ideas, Elon Musk is risking everything that he has. His many businesses intersect with governments around the world. They're not for this. They could crush him for even suggesting it. So he's all in. He has to be all in even to say something like this. What a martyr Elon Musk is. Yeah putting it all on the line for us i should have known that since tucker is a weird right-wing libertarian that he'd be a huge fan of elon musk but hearing him say it just hurts i know it's It's so gross like i don't want to have to care about elon musk you know he's so fucking annoying (laughs) he acts like a 12 year old's idea of what a billionaire would be yeah, so then uh, it, e- Elon is a martyr. They're going to try to crush him because this is a challenge to elite power. Um, it, how? <laughs> how is a billionaire buying one of the most popular social media platforms a de-stratification of power? The, how? <laughs> the richest man in the world buying a massive social media company. Con- buying a massive social media company. That's how you challenge... The power of elites. <laughs> this is absurd. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't keep the clip of it, but Tucker, uh, for a couple of days, he was really big on this harebrained scheme that, like, Elon Musk should ask all of the ordinary Americans who care about free speech to buy Tesla stock and then give their voting power to Elon Musk, thereby making him a shareholder through our collective buying power. Tucker was really pushing that idea hard. Wait, wait, I, I'm so, did I miss something? I, where, he wants the people to buy Tesla stock for Elon? Uh, he, Twitter stock. Twitter I might have said st- Tesla, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was like, I thought he already owned a control share of Tesla. Okay. Um, God, the brain rot. To just be like, you know who who needs my help? To acquire more structural power, <laughs> Elon Musk. E- Elon Musk can't do it without the help of the little guy. <laughs> um, I what, mean, I guess what has he ever done to help an average person? He like made cars that are too expensive for them to buy, 
and then he made rockets that dumped spaceship parts all over their yard and never cleaned it up. So yeah, Elon Musk, they're going to crush him and he needs our help. Um, and already the, the government has knives out for, for Elon. The Biden administration certainly understands this, and they've already made a move to intimidate Musk into backing off. Fox Business's Charlie Gasparino is reporting tonight that, quote, as Elon Musk offers to buy the rest of Twitter, a legal source tells Fox Business that the SEC and the DOJ have launched what he described as a joint investigation into a myriad of Musk regulatory issues, primarily involving Tesla. In other words, threaten to allow people to speak freely and we'll crush your businesses. That's third world behavior. I just don't, I don't know how to engage with this because it's just so obviously not a crisis. Like, like free speech is not at risk in the U.S. right now. Yeah, like it, so this whole, this whole crusade is just a giant joke. This thing about the SEC and the DOJ opening a joint investigation into Tesla is retaliation for this to try to intimidate Musk out of buying Twitter. Uh, that that's, citation needed. Yeah, that's bullshit. Um, maybe he just committed labor violations. Yeah, or business violations. Yeah, Musk and Tesla have been under investigation by the SEC and the DOJ since 2018. It's taken a while. Yep. Um, like for example, in 2018, Tesla was investigated uh, related to a tweet by Elon about wanting to take Tesla private and saying that he had funding secured. Uh, that tweet sent Tesla stock soaring by 11 percent. In reality, uh, a deal was not close and funding was not secured. And this was just like a bullshit play to bo- to boost Tesla stock. God, that's so fucking funny. Yes. It's like, hey, I'm going to take this off the stock market so that I can own it myself. And then the market's response is to buy more stock. Yeah, markets are so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also in 2018, the SEC and the DOJ investigated whether or not Tesla had misled investors about its Model 3 production targets. Later, in 2021, the SEC opened an investigation into Tesla over a whistleblower complaint that Tesla had failed to properly notify shareholders and the public of fire risks associated with a defect in its solar panel system. On three separate occasions, Tesla or SpaceX have been investigated for discriminatory hiring practices or racial discrimination in the workplace. And uh, currently, Elon and his brother Kimball are also both under investigation for insider trading. That investigation began last year after Kimball sold shares of sold shares of Tesla stock, valued at 108 million, just a single day before t- before Musk uh, posted a poll on Twitter asking users whether he should offload 10% of his stake in Tesla, which caused which caused a sell-off of Tesla stock. So it really seems like, hey, maybe Kimball knew about this tweet. Yeah, guys, don't you know that only U.S. Congress people are allowed to insider trade? I just had a really original thought, Tyler. I don't think anybody's ever thought to ask this before, <laughs> but like, why are, are Congress people allowed to trade stocks? <laughs> I can't think of any other left-wing content creators that have had that idea recently <laughs> uh there's also an on- <laughs> there's also an ongoing probe over complaints about uh unexpected braking tied to tesla's autopilot system i, I could go which on. is called autopilot and you're <laughs> not allowed to use it autonomously yeah uh i, I could go on the point is uh elon musk gets investigated all the time because he does, does a bunch of shady business shit 
Yep. Because um, that's how you get rich is by doing a bunch of shady business shit. And so, like, the, the, this is nothing new. And what they're talking about with the Twitter thing specifically, the the only corroboration I've been able to find on this is a Fox business reporter named Charlie Gasparino. So I'm not positive that how reliable, or I'm not I'm not sure how reliable this information is. Um, but apparently, Musk may be investigated over this Twitter over his Twitter acquisition because uh, when when he bought nine percent of, of the shares in Twitter. Um, I guess if you buy more than 5% of a company, then you have to disclose that to the SEC within 10 days, and apparently Musk didn't. Um, so so there there may be some sort of investigation about that. Okay. Yeah, so let's see. Musk needs our help. So then, uh, going out to break, Tucker wants to tease two upcoming stories for the episode. So Sandy Cortez's whole shtick is that she's on the side of the working class, the little guy against the man. Right, Sandy Cortez, daughter of an architect from Westchester. And yet, when it really came down to it, Cortez just abandoned the Amazon labor union right before a historic vote. Oh, maybe she's on the man's side after all. We've got details. And remember Obama phones where the Obama administration gave phones to welfare recipients? Well, at least... They were American citizens. The Biden administration is giving free smartphones to foreign nationals. That's next. He what? gave us a phone. He gave you, you a phone. How did he give you a phone? You, you sign up if you're, you're on full stamps. You on Social Security. You got low income. You disability. I'd like to take a minute uh, and ask how an architect is. A member of the elite. Like, I'm not saying... I think architects make above the median salary in America, for sure. But I don't think that they hold a lot of institutional power. <laughs> Fair. Uh, probably not since like, Albert Speer. <laughs> that, is not, that is not the singer that Tucker thinks it is. What the hell? Yeah, and, and just the, like... I, I, I know that hypocrisy is pointless yeah but it tucker carlson tucker swanson carlson saying yeah criticizing somebody with rich parents for pretending to be on the side of the working man that's like beautiful mildly rich like upper <laughs> like, middle well, class well <laughs> yeah and then he he cat that off with a 12 year old viral video of the obama phone lady or i'm sorry not 12 years old from 2012 okay um, almost 12 years old. Yeah. We're old. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so... Uh, Which felt racist to me. It, oh, it, it, it's absolutely, like, racially coded. Yeah, it's... But, um, do you want to hear about AOC abandoning a labor union or the uh, free phones for immigrants first? Um... I think that free phones will be more fun, so let's do that one second okay yeah so uh what tucker is talking about here on the tale of awesome news which is that uh uh amazon I amazon fulfillment center in new york voted to unionize dope yeah nice. fucking awesome <laughs> um, congratulations and uh the 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 union organizers christian smalls the, the the chief among them They've been in contact with the offices of a few progressive Congress people, including AOC, 
asking them to appear at a at a at a rally for for uh, supporting the union. Um, and AOC had like given her contact information. She seemed enthusiastic about it when she talked to Christian Smalls, implied that she'd be there. Um, when it got to be closer to the event, her office replied that she wouldn't be coming because it posed a security risk for her. That's what Tucker is talking about with with how she abandoned the labor union. Okay. Um, like that is a bummer. Yeah, and, and Christian Smalls was a bit critical of her when talking about this, but he also w- was like it, I mean this this isn't really about her. We we're, we're going to do this whether she's here or not. We don't need her. Yeah. Um and so what's interesting is then I think because he had some uh he spoke a little bit critically about about AOC in that instance. Tucker thinks that he might have a slam dunk interview here because Tucker brings on Christian Smalls to talk about uh, AOC standing them up. And this is very interesting. Wow. Okay. Sandy Cortez spends a lot of time telling you that she's on the side of the worker. She's like a modern wobbly. She's the Walter Ruther of our day. And that's why last year she about to stand alongside striking workers at Amazon Staten Island warehouse. And we're for that because they need the help. But at the last minute, Cindy Cortez bailed on the whole thing. And that infuriated labor organizers who just want a big vote to unionize at the Staten Island facility. Now, Amazon is stepping up its effort to crush the union. Amazon has just banned words like union on its employee chat app. Christian Smalls is a union leader at Amazon, and we're happy to have him join us now. Christian, thanks so much for coming on. Um, so you. were you surprised that Sandy Cortez... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has said repeatedly that she's on the side of the worker against the corporation, wasn't standing with you at the barricades. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't just her. It was uh, all of them, pretty much. You know, it's yeah, not fair. You know, um, yeah, I don't want it to make it just be- between us and AOC because, uh, you know, a lot of them didn't show up. And, um, you know, once again, we we have no ill will against them. We We know that whether they showed or showed up or not, they didn't make or break our election. We just had to continue to organize. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's a weird moment because, I mean, I'm on the right. I've never been particularly pro-union, but it does seem like Amazon needs some counterbalance. Like it's this huge company. The workers have no power. And maybe we could, I don't know, share a little power with the people who work there. So that's my view anyway. So t- tell us where you are in your organizing efforts. Well, right now, you know, we're fighting for a contract. Um, you know, Amazon's disputing the election re- results. Um, so we're, we're in, uh, walking and chewing bubblegum at the same time. We're fighting for a contract. We're preparing for another election in two weeks on April 25th. We're going to be voting at a second location directly across the building that we just unionized. So um, we're, we're in the thick of a fight right now, you know, a legal battle. And, um, you know, we just have to stay grounded and uh, pretty much uh, begin our campaign all over again. I mean, you'd think that Amazon would be open to a union, wouldn't you? It's a very progressive company. Why do you think they're trying to thwart you from organizing? Amazon hasn't been unionized in this country since the beginning of its uh, existence. And they're very anti-union. You know, yeah. they, want, they created a system that hires and fires people. They created a system that they have full control of the working, the working people. And, um, you know, having a union obviously brings representation for the workers that'll benefit the workers at the bottom, like myself, 
uh, hourly associates, entry-level workers that don't get the, the right to negotiate. So forming a union gives us the right to collect a bargain with the company, form a contract to protect ourselves. So that's exactly what we're trying to do with the Amazon Labor Union. Um, we're hoping that we'll be a catalyst for something that will take place nationwide. Well, I, I certainly am rooting for you. I mean, maybe if they throw some more woke slogans at you, you'll forget you can't feed your family. <laughs> right. Chris, I appreciate your coming on. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. What was that? Yeah. That was weirdly amicable and, like, normal. Yeah. That was very weird. Yeah. Um, Tucker it- Carlson tonight is in favor of unions question mark and I, I did think it was it was kind of fun that he was like uh I've, I've never been particularly pro-union but you know amazon is a big company and the and the workers have no power so, okay so why shouldn't other big companies where the workers have no power have unions <laughs> but, yeah um just because he doesn't like amazon but and so then he kept trying to to, to get a talking point out of it i think in in his questions and yeah, Chris, yeah, I thought Christian handled that really well. Yeah, Christian Smalls didn't really let it happen. He's kind of like um, the Satanic Temple guy. Yeah. Uh, he stayed on message, he made his point, and didn't get distracted when Tucker tried to make it about, like, attacking the wokes or whatever. Yeah. Um, the story is different here, right? This isn't some evil Satanist trying to corrupt your kids. This is uh, an ordinary working guy trying to stand up against entrenched corporate power. And so Tucker can't attack him. And so he has to just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not going to get any good talking points out of this. I just have to have a nice conversation. Yeah, yeah. And then he like, at the beginning when he remembered he was talking to someone who wasn't a right wing weirdo, and he had and he had to switch back to calling her Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. <laughs> yeah, because Christian would have just been like, who? That was interesting. I thought that was a fun little interplay there where Tucker had to kind of cede his power, which you rarely see on his show. Yeah. Get more union leaders on Tucker Carlson tonight is what I'm learning. Fucking absolutely, yeah. And, and like, I, I'm happy that happened, because Christian Smalls was able to make, like, an articulate case for unionization on on Tucker's show, which yeah. isn't an audience that normally gets those messages. No. So. <laughs> like, I imagine most of his audience is not pro-union, so I wonder how... They took that, you know? Now let's get into the phone thing. This is So Tucker uh, teased the segment before by playing a clip from 2012 that wasn't funny then. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, when the joke is good, Tyler, you can't just make it once. No. Of course not. You remember Obama phones. Of course you do. Back in 2012, a lot of potential Democratic voters got them. And of course they were happy about it. Why wouldn't they be? Watch this woman in Ohio. Obama. You got Obama phone? Yes, everybody in Cleveland, low minority, got Obama phone. Keep Obama in president, you know? You what? gave us a phone. He gave you, you a phone. Do more. How do he give you a phone? You, you sign up if you're, you're on full stamps, you on social security, you got low income, you disability. <laughs> they hate it when you play that tape. They were so mad. But that's a that's an American citizen. You know, why wouldn't she be happy? That was 2012. And again, at least that was an American citizen. So, you know, part of you could say, well, I'm glad she's happy. Now, the Biden administration is so dark. Now, it, before we go any further, I just 
I, I wouldn't have kept that in twice, except I think his framing there was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I know that you guys think I'm I'm hating this woman because she's black, but in this context, we really need to get around that for a second. We need to talk about the real problem. Yeah, it's like, it, it, at least she was born here. I, I would prefer she hadn't been, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, really weird. And so, uh, um, and Obama phone lady's name, by the way, is Michelle Dowery. I just didn't feel right calling her Obama phone lady the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, now... And by the way, Obama phones weren't a thing. Um, the, the the program by which, uh, so like you and I pay a little bit extra on our phone bill, and that excess then um, the the Federal Telecommunications Commission uses to provide um, access to telecommunication technology for low income people. Cool. Um, that program has existed since the 1930s. Wow. Uh, and in 2009, it was expanded to include, like, w- wireless networks. Cool. Um, which, so it did expand under Obama. But the the reason it caught on as, like, the Obama phone is because um, wireless carriers who wanted to, like, cap to, who wanted to, like, capitalize on this program, uh, they marketed it that way. Like, one of them even created uh, Obamaphone.com where you could go, um, because, like, or, or, like, cell providers and carriers do make some money off of this program. When it got expanded under Obama to include wireless services, then they were pitching it to low-income people. And then the right wing turned that into this, uh... Obama's trying to buy the votes of all these black people with free phones. (laughs) Um, And it wasn't even him doing it? Yeah. Okay. Um... So Obama now, phone sure is fun to say. It is. It's, it's, it's going to get banana phone stuck <laughs> in my head, though. So, um, yeah. So then we've got a nice uh, a, 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 another story that isn't actually happening. Now, the Biden administration, this is how dark things have gotten, is just giving cell phones to anyone who breaks our immigration law. Foreign nationals who've come here illegally without a permission <sighs> get free smartphones. Times have changed. According to the New York Post, the move would, quote, make the migrants easier to track after they're released into the United States. Do you get a free phone? Don't think so. You're just an American citizen. Shut up and obey. Vince Colonies is radio show host in Washington, D.C. We're happy to have him join us tonight. Uh, he's doing the thing again where immigrants aren't people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, th- these these devices have been... Um, um, so the government has been giving out these devices since 2018. So you might recognize that as a year that Joe Biden wasn't the president. What this is, so for migrants who aren't detained, you know, the idea is like you, you let them go, whatever, they have family, they have a place to go. We're not going to detain them, um, but we want them to show up for their hearings. So we need a way to, to track them and to make sure they show up. And so for migrants who don't have a phone, they can be given one of these devices. Um, and I say devices because these aren't, these are only phones in like the strictest possible sense. <laughs> they do not have the capability to make for personal phone calls, check social media, or browse the internet. Instead, the phones are preloaded with an application called SmartLink as a way to track immigrants who have been released from detention and are awaiting a deportation hearing. Um, 
The app requires someone to check in with immigration officials either by uploading a selfie or answering a call from their case manager. So, uh, the, 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 these aren't like phones for personal use. They aren't, they, they aren't like going and checking Facebook or calling their friends with them. It's something where, um, it, it, it tracks them and they have to check in with their immigration officers. Kind of sounds like a glorified ankle bracelet to me. Pretty much, yeah. It's uh, it's it's an it's, it's an ankle bracelet for your pocket. And Tucker says this is a sign of the end times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and he brings on Vince Colonnese to talk about it. I I don't have much of that, but I do have one clip here. Re- really quick, how much longer do you think Americans will put up with this? I, I'm hoping by these midterms things change. I mean, these have you seen these polling numbers? It's like. I, this yeah. is here's what I, here, my 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 real take on this is and all all of this is real by the way, but my take on this is that this is political suicide. What they're doing right now, it's so visible to the yeah. public. It doesn't matter what demographic you're a part of. You despise this, and you will vote against it. What? Yeah, if we have a free and fair election, it's over for them. Yeah, I can't yep. wait. Vince Colonies, thanks so much. Great to see you tonight. Was thanks, that sir. the whole conversation? Uh, that was the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god what 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 do they think is so bad i know like it, uh, even like, i'll pretend for a second that like they're just giving out free smartphones to anyone who shows up like th- that are free to use like that that isn't even what's happening but even if that was what's happening i would not give a shit i don't understand why they think anyone else would give a shit either yeah, it's just so not a big deal. Who cares? Yeah, it, and what they want this to be is like a jealousy thing. Like, oh, you and I, we have to pay for our phone, but but not these people who break our laws, our bad immoral laws <laughs> that we so like. Have. All this is based on they're just trying to make people jealous about a thing that isn't real. It's like if I'm jealous that you got visited by the tooth fairy and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> And then harbored enough resentment to lead a race war <laughs> over it. Yeah, that's about right. Um, and then, of course, the yeah, if we have a free and fair election, it's over for them. And we'll never see a day again that a Republican loses an election and they don't say it was rigged. Yeah. that Like, those days are over. Hopefully we'll see one where they don't invade the Capitol. That'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be nice. So then uh, we've got one more narrative here from the week to talk about. Do you remember uh, Ashley Biden's diary? No. So, Should I? And we, we, we talked about it once, but not in great detail. This is a thing. Um, shady right-wing internet circles have been passing around alleged excerpts from Ashley Biden's diary. Um, and, and, and these excerpts contain things like... Uh, it. Th- the the one that gets shared most often there is a passage about how she showered with her dad Joe Biden past an age that may have been appropriate. The way it's written, she said that was probably inappropriate. So Joe Biden's a pedophile, therefore QAnon, therefore yes. Um, and uh, you, you probably won't be shocked to hear that this diary goes back to Project Veritas. We, we we haven't talked about it in great detail because it hasn't shown up that much on Tucker's show. He's alluded to it, um, but he hasn't really talked much about the content of the diary. He's more interested in the angle that we're about to hear. 
So what, how would you describe a government that uses its intelligence agencies and its law enforcement capacity to settle scores on behalf of the head politician? Would that be an American system or a third world system? Well, the Biden administration has just been caught spying on journalists in an effort to intimidate them out of reporting on Joe Biden's daughter's diary. That's true. And they've used Apple and Google to do it. Apple and Google have acknowledged for about three months from December of 2020 to March of 2021, the DOJ issued them several subpoenas. The DOJ was seeking sensitive information of journalists employed by Project Veritas, which had dared to report on Ashley Biden's diary. Now, the company noted that the DOJ, quote, compelled Apple and Google not to disclose that they were providing the individual's private data to the government. This seems illegal. It's completely immoral. Talk about an abuse of power. Okay. Journalists employed by Project Veritas. Yeah. So not journalists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, Project Veritas is a, a bullshit sting operation propaganda outlet. Um, yeah. th- there's a Behind the Bastards episode on James O'Keefe, their founder, for anybody curious. Um, now... I want to. We are going to talk about this thing about the 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 Justice Department trying to intimidate Project Veritas over this diary, but like that would be bad if it happened. But I don't trust Tucker to tell the truth. He. This is a hard one because, like, he he's mostly lying. Everything that the government is doing, there's a reason for them to be doing it that he is not mentioning. However. I think that spiritually it might be true that the investigation that is happening, it wouldn't be such a focus of the government were it not related to the Biden family. Um, and that's not great. Yeah. So, but so, I can just say that. Right. And, and it's and it's not a conspiracy theory. Yeah. So, and and we'll we'll unpack that. But I want I, I do want to spend just a second. Um, because so, the 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 alleged content of this diary, because at this point it seems to be the case that this diary is is authentic. It is less clear whether or not the excerpts from it going around online are authentic. Okay. Um. But even if they are, now Ashley Biden is not alleging abuse. She wrote that these showers were p- probably inappropriate. And, and this wasn't something that she made public. This was material that was stolen in a her. diary. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this isn't something that she was trying to like come out with or, or draw attention to. Um, I mean, it if it if if it turns out to be the case at any point, like if, if there is ever credible evidence that Joe Biden was abusive toward his kid or anyone else, um, that should be taken seriously, and he should not be president. Yes, um, but it doesn't sound like this is that. Yeah, I, I, I do not think that this meets that standard. <laughs> so then, uh, it, as, as to what's actually going on here with, with this with this diary situation, so this is th- this sounds like the plot of a of an okay movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened uh, during the early part of twenty twenty? Ashley Biden rented a house from a friend in Delray Beach in Florida. Uh, she she was in, like, an addiction recovery program at the time, 
and just kind of needed a place to stay. So she rented this house in Florida and um, was keeping a diary at the recommendation of her therapist. And now it's being passed around on the internet by assholes. Yeah. Yeah, so she, she, she was there for a while, and then in June of 2020, she moved back to Philadelphia, but she left a couple of bags and belongings at the rental house. She told the friend who she was renting the house from that she planned to return to pick up her things in the fall. In July of 2020, a, wo- a woman named Amy Harris rented the house and moved in. The owner was a former boyfriend of Harris's, and Harris was in the middle of an ugly divorce and custody battle, so she needed a place to stay. Harris was a Trump supporter, and this is right around the time that Joe Biden clinched the, the Democratic Party's nomination. So Amy Harris learned that the house had previously been rented by Ashley Biden, so she decided to snoop through, at, snoop through the belongings that Ashley left behind, where she found the diary. Are you sure this is American politics and not the plot to a 90s high school I sitcom? know! <laughs> yeah, this, this, is, this is fucking insane. Um... So so then, by August, Harris had reached out to a friend named Robert Curlander. Now, Robert Curlander uh, had, had previously served 40 months in prison on federal fraud charges, um, and had expressed anti-Biden sentiments online. Amy Harris told Curlander about the diary, and the two believed that they could sell it, which for potentially for enough money that Harris would be able to pay for the lawyers for presenting her in her custody dispute. Uh, so, try, trying to find a buyer for this diary, Curlander contacted a woman named Ashley Fago. Fago was a Trump donor who was organizing a fundraiser in Florida that Donald Trump Jr. was set to attend. Uh, Fago was interested in the diary and asked Curlander to deliver it to her. So, three days later, Amy Harris and Robert Curlander attended the fundraiser in Jupiter, Florida, and brought the diary. The diary was passed around among the attendees of the fundraiser, and apparently Donald Trump Jr. actually looked through it. <sighs> now, a lawyer for Donald Jr. said that uh, when he saw the diary, Don Jr. wasn't interested in it and recommended that they, they hand it over to the FBI, which sounds like Donald Trump Jr. to me. That's just what you do with journals, right? You give them to the FBI. <laughs> Another lawyer said he can't confirm whether or not uh, Donald Trump Jr.'s behavior is accurately reflected in that story. (laughs) (laughs) I am not at liberty to say if that story is true or not. Um, Ultimately, they didn't find a buyer for the diary at this fundraiser. Like, they had some offers, but none of them they thought were high enough. Um, So they walked. But then, on September 3rd, Elizabeth Fago's daughter contacted the Project Veritas tip line to inform them about the diary's existence. Once Project Veritas learned about the diary, the group sought to acquire it. About a week after the fundraiser, Amy Harris flew to New York with the diary. She met with several Project Veritas operators at a hotel in Manhattan's west side. So at this point, uh, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas, they wanted to authenticate the diary. They were like, we can't just put this out. Or it's probably more, we can't pay for this thing if we before we know it's not bullshit. Right. Um, and so uh, James O'Keefe sent one of his top lieutenants, a guy named Spencer Meads, to Florida to do more investigative work. What happened next is a matter of some dispute, and at the heart of the investigation. So Project Veritas is setting court filings that its operatives obtained additional items belonging to Ms. Biden that their source had described as abandoned. 
suggesting that they had no knowledge of any theft and that they thought they were getting access to Ashley Biden's belongings legally. Other sources have alleged... <laughs> oh, God, even think about it. It was fucking stolen was, the whole time. It was all stolen. Oh, my... So now you're getting why there's an investigation. <laughs> other sources have said that Project Veritas asked their operatives to steal other, other stuff uh, that Ashley Biden had left at the house so they could verify that the stuff was hers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so they ended up just taking a bunch of shit that Ashley Biden left at this house. Like, is this really her? Is this her? Um, um, so Project Veritas has asserted that they did nothing wrong and didn't know the the items were stolen. Which you know, take us take that as you will. Um, no fucking chance. <laughs> but uh, someone from Project Veritas did call Ashley Biden. Um, this person did not identify himself as working for Project Veritas. But he, he told Ashley Biden about the diary, and they made a plan for her to retrieve it in October. So that was good enough for them to be like, this thing is real. The story then goes, Project Veritas paid $40,000 for the diary, uh, but ultimately decided not to publish it. However, it was mysteriously leaked a few days later to some obscure right-wing websites. Which you can read as... Uh, Oh, we, we decided not to publish this thing, but then somebody must have leaked it. Or you can read as, this is stolen material we don't want to admit that we had, so let's put it out through some back channels. That sounds closer to the truth. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any evidence, I won't make any accusations. I will just say, if you don't know about Project Veritas and how they usually operate, maybe look into it and draw your own conclusions. <laughs> so... So ultimately, the plan for for Ashley Biden to retrieve the, the diary in October fell through. Somehow, after this, shortly after, all of Ashley Biden's stuff ended up being taken by a Project Veritas lawyer to a police station in Florida, where it was eventually returned to her. So then, because of this whole tangled web we've woven, the, the government is now investigating exactly how Project Veritas came into possession of these materials. Um... If it turns out there is there is evidence that they directed someone to steal Ashley Biden's shit, or that they knew the diary was stolen when they bought it, then that is against the law and they will have committed a crime. Yeah. Um. So that is what is being investigated. That's why O'Keefe's stuff was raided, and why they've issued warrants for uh for like emails and and they they've collected some data from Google and Apple. Um. Which, we, again, I was talking before, I'm not crazy about that kind of thing, but it, it, it makes sense in this context, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I'm like, there's probably a crime committed here. It makes sense for the Department of Justice to investigate crimes. I'm also not sure that a stolen diary, had it not been the president's daughter, would be so thoroughly investigated. So, like, there there is some nuance there, but Tucker... It, it is bullshitting here. He, uh, he he wants you to believe this is just the government trying to intimidate James O'Keefe. The reality is that they were trafficking and stolen material. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not it's not great that like you know no one else is probably going to get in trouble for stealing a diary that isn't owned by the daughter of the president of the United States. But I feel like by pretending. That we live in a meritocracy, uh, where like, um, just not grappling with the situation. Like rich people just 
get more privileges, like having their stolen diary be a be a criminal offense. Right. Like, <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I, th- I thought that was a fun a fun fucking story. What a yeah. banana sequence of events. And so uh, we have one more clip here because Tucker has brought on his favorite lawyer, Harmie Dillon, to discuss this uh, this abuse of power by the government. By the way, if they're doing this to Project Veritas, you better believe they're probably doing this to other journalists in America who don't know about it because of these gag orders that, frankly, these federal magistrate judges should also have been asking questions before they began blithely rubber stamping all of these requests from the United States Department of Justice, all at the behest of Democrat-connected lawyers for the Biden family. This is why I include obscenities in every text I send, because I can't wait for the New York Times to have to print them once they're leaked. (laughs) Not kidding! Army Dillon, great to see you. (laughs) Thank you, Tucker. Thanks so much. I'll show it to those New York Timers. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they'll they'll just be uh, be beat red having to publish Tucker's obscenities. With a couple of asterisks. Yeah, like that's going (laughs) to... gonna be real hard for them yeah so we can add that to the to uh to, to tucker's the list of tucker's weird behaviors it does mean you want to see uh the emails he sent um trying to arrange that interview with vladimir putin <laughs> what's up you sexy fucking beast <laughs> those horses wish they had cocks as big as yours hey you want to interview <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that might have gotten him one <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good note to end on. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was good. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Tyler, what's our sworn enemy? Oh, um, the architect lobby. They've been running this damn country from behind the scenes for too long. <laughs> <laughs> and we know they're trying to like imbue more anxiety in American life. Oh, right. So. Also, I, 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 I forgot to. We should address why we're not talking about the testicle tanning thing. Uh, what that was, uh, so, because we just listened to the Thursday show, on Friday of, of, of this week, Tucker dedicated the episode to releasing trailers of uh, season two of Tucker Carlson Originals, which is the documentary series. Okay. One of those trailers is for a documentary called The End of Men, where he talks about falling testosterone levels and, like, ways to revive masculinity. And, uh, and one of, and, <laughs> Tanning your balls. Is... Yeah, yeah. In one of those, he talks <laughs> to somebody who advocates testicle tanning. Um, God, that sounds like a one-way trip to testicular cancer. I just... How do you tan your balls without also tanning your your penis? Do you have to hold it up? Is there a little sheath? (laughs) 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 I mean, we might find out when the documentary drops. I mean, Um, it's only a matter of time. But yeah, since it was just like a snippet from in this trailer, I figured we will... We will talk about that when the end of Men comes out this summer. Sounds fun. Um, he also wait. he also filmed a documentary. Uh, he spent a week on Kid Rock's ranch. Oh God! So that'll be a fun one. Oh God! Why why are we letting Kid Rock talk in public? <laughs> Man, I uh, we, we I was just cleaning out my dad's last storage unit yesterday. And I found a box full of CDs on the very top of his Kid Rock's face, looking back at me. It's like, man, that's that 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 does that does something to my soul. 
<laughs> it should brighten your soul because of how far you've come <laughs> in a single generation. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we'll talk about testicle tanning when we get there. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, we will be back. Um, but until then, we do have a website. It is tuckeredoutpod.com. Uh, you can email the show at tuckeredoutpod at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter at tuckeredoutpod. Uh, we have a Facebook group, Wokeristas. And uh, if, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via Patreon or PayPal. And thank you to everyone for supporting the show and for listening. Yeah, we uh, we appreciate all you guys out there. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, do not tan your testicles. I'm I, I'm open to trying it for you and try to enjoy your life. Well, if Troy's in, then I'm in. <laughs> we'll live stream it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to simultan. Um, <laughs> Oh, man. I've been very sleepy today. Thank you for listening, everyone. Buck up. It's going to get better. <laughs>